0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week, I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Well, we've just had a little bit of good news. If you've been listening for a while, you'll remember around about this time last year, the Ministry of Arts podcast collaborated with the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week. And it wasn't just painters and sculptors that we spoke to. We spoke to writers and poets and and even a florist, Jan Skates. And other than Jan, off the top of my head, so if I forget anyone, please excuse me. There was Lee Baker of Graphic Rewilding, sculptors LR Vandy and Zach Ove, Amy Jackson, Sarah Hardy, and I think one of the first was Louise Hall. That was really powerful. Well, we're collaborating with them again this year, so we'll be speaking to many of the artists off Kensington and Chelsea Art Week's Public Art Trail. I have been sent a list of participating artists, but I'm not 100% sure yet of who I am and who I'm not speaking to. It's a pretty exciting list, so I hope I'm speaking to all of them. I am recording the first one during the next couple of days, so I definitely know I'm speaking to sculptor Lise Boussiere, and you'll find out then whether I just pronounced that correctly, and I'll also have a bit more info on the future guests. But anyway, let's talk about this week's episode. Today I'm taking you to meet painter Duncan McAfee. Duncan and I have been chatting on Instagram for quite a while, and a little while ago we got round to setting a date for this episode. And in between us recording it and it coming out today, the art car boot fair took place, and Duncan just happened to be on Terp's Bananas stall. He did tell me he was going to be, and twice I walked past him, forgetting entirely that he was on there. I was so bloody, I was so bloody excited to be out and around artists again. I was running around boot fair, wagging me tail like a puppy. In this episode, we touch on the art car boot fair and Terp's banana. Duncan's enrolled himself into one of their programmes and he talks about the benefits he's found from doing so. We touch on mental health and therapy itself and reaching out to speak to people when you feel like you're slipping into a little bit of a dark place, you know? We all do it. But it's not a downbeat conversation, that's for sure. Duncan also talks about the conflicting feelings he has now that his work started to gain a bit of traction with collectors. And speaking of him selling work to collectors... We also spoke of the fact that Duncan is taking part in the Camberwell Arts Open Studios on the 11th and 12th of June, which is just a couple of days after the release of this podcast. Duncan's going to have some brand new paintings on show over that weekend, as well as drawings and prints available at studio prices. Everyone's a winner, right? But anyway, until then, come and join me as I spoke over Zoom to Mr. Duncan McAfee.
1: And how did you find the, the art car Boot Fair the weekend? It was good. It was good. It's the first time I've done it in person, so it was, yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect really, so I kind of, uh, I'd done the the online one, the the last one just before when was it October? It was yeah, October November sometime, um, and that was I was really like pleasantly surprised. It was a kind of, uh, it was a, a really nice experience having. I'm, I'm kind of new to this whole selling work business yeah it's all kind of fresh so I kind of, I've been making stuff I've been an artist for years since like since graduating Chelsea in 2000 and a friend of mine that I met on the degree course and I were kind of paired up almost by our tutor said yeah, you've got a lot in common you should talk to each other and then quite quickly we decided we, we went through it was a guy called Andrew Miller and he's he's still making work now but um and one of the first things we did together was go through our sketchbooks and we realised we'd both come up with the same idea for a piece of work, which was oh, a, brilliant. a normal clock, but with 10 on it instead of 12 digits. Quite, and then we both rejected it, thinking it's yeah interesting idea, but it's just not good enough. <laughs> so, but yeah, but it's such an historical idea, isn't it? Well, there was, there's a whole decimal clock society and, you know, the idea of decimalizing time is kind of, yeah quite reasonable, really. But anyway, we both decided that it was, yeah, it was not a good enough. But the fact that we both rejected it meant that that was the final little impetus to go like, okay. So that tutor was quite correct, saying that you should team up. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But um, yeah, so we made that, it was kind of stupid. And that was in a couple of group shows. And yeah, and then we the first proper project we did together really was like a, a book of jokes, which we kind of included in our, um, Degree show called 101 Art Jokes. And then we kind of spattered that around all the gallery bookshops and things for a while. And then it was in a few group shows that traveled. We went over to France, Poitiers, and did it. Like we were performing it, shouting down homemade microphones. <laughs> like there's what they call megaphones, homemade megaphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually there was a I know your your story about uh being an ex-con. There was a prison round the back of the space in um Poitiers, and we were shouting the shouting for these megaphones, and then they were shouting back. It <laughs> oh, and, superb! But we were—it was in France, <laughs> so it was all in French. We were like telling these bad jokes in English, yeah, badly translated, <laughs> badly translated into French, and then they were going kind to of shout stuff back. It was hilarious. It was a weird scenario, but, yeah. And obviously, everyone was a bit drunk, so <laughs> that always makes yeah. it a bit better, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, that's so. But then, um. Yeah, but I mean, I've got on a painting course and did three years, and I think within two weeks I'd quit painting. It was that, it was that kind of era, like 97, I started. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Painting Painting's dead, of. isn't it? Yeah, So, exactly they, so it. they were was saying. Yeah. And they're all painting they now, aren't they? That, the ones who said that. Well, yeah, it's definitely back with a vengeance. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, can I ask you my first question, being how would you explain what you do
1: to someone that doesn't know your work? I'll I'll do it in a roundabout way then that uh, explains that I kind of, yeah, I have, I, from graduation, I spent a long time doing lots of different things, all art related. Um, But I kind of, uh, I've worked a lot with uh, sound and music. And I've done a lot of performance stuff. I've made sculpture. um, And I did a lot of like, uh, educational projects and participatory stuff. So there's some public art things that dotted around uh anglia and the southeast of england and then i kind of came back to image making around the time of the coalition government because for yeah. some reason a lot of the money for those kind of projects was uh disappearing uh yeah and then i got back into image making through kind of physical collage which is something that i used to do a lot when i was painting as well uh, and then eventually kind of admitted that i was a painter to myself again and um after you know making fetishized brush-ish brush marks on top of like bits of collage and go I'm not really a painter yeah finally kind of went so I'm a painter and um yeah so now I'm a painter and I I take that kind of collage mishmash like I lots of different stuff from different places and that kind of perseveres into my current painting practice and it looks a bit kind of like things stuck together it's sort of like taking taking on painting as though it were a um a game of consequences <laughs> like, p- picking bits of like 20th century art painting movements and bits of popular culture and uh, whatever yeah, and sort of jamming them together in this kind of weird mishmash and more and more it's becoming more messy and and maybe more painterly as i get more and more comfortable with the idea that perhaps i am a painter i assumed that i wasn't a <laughs> yeah and that i was just kind of taking the mickey out of painting and so yeah, you're way. just
0: an art- a, a lot of people see themselves as like an artist who's
1: painting not yes, quite a painter artist. you know right yeah 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 so but more and more i'm kind of i think it's that thing of not having settled on anything and yeah. like intentionally like the idea that um if you do lots of different stuff, and it's the points where things kind of intersect or overlap is where interesting things happen. So I was really resistant to the idea of like doing one thing and becoming an expert in that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Just there's some suspicion in kind of expertise and um, finesse and stuff like that. But yeah, more and more I'm finding that I can I can do enough different things in painting to keep myself engaged. So I can come in one day and be like really graphic and tight. And then I can come in the next day and just throw stuff at it and spoil it, and then rescue it the next day, or you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's like I think I've found a way of doing lots of different things, but it means I can still have a body of work that makes sense yeah, together yeah. somehow.
0: So, what would, how do you think that come about? Do you think it's the fact that you had to try and justify all of that by asking yourself these questions, finding the answer, and then that gives you that confidence because you've got the answer yeah. to the to the unwritten question you've been asking yourself?
1: I think it's a mix of things. I think, yeah, the, the, when I was kind of 17, 18, I like discovered Bacon and Freud and Eric Fischel, his amazing paintings on um, plastic sheeting particularly. And I was kind of, yeah, I suddenly got really excited about painting, but then, you know, you discover other things and you're excited about them. And so it's a mixture of that and yeah, like not, not feeling like there's one thing. And yeah, of being kind of, I suppose it wasn't really the idea that painting was dead in art school. It was more the thought, the the, the thing that was put across that if you were gonna do painting, that the, the weight of the history of painting was so much that you couldn't look at a painting yeah. anymore without <clears throat> all this other without stuff reference, like being yeah. in your head. Well that's the thing, but yes uh, at the time it was like those if you're gonna if you're gonna have those references, they have to be, you know, really deeply researched, everything has to be justified down to the finest minutiae. Uh, and then I kind of having not done it for so long, I don't know how far I got with, with with that bit of the story, but yeah, having kind of done education, blah blah blah, and you know, collaborated with various people and uh, coming back to it and going into the studio aged what around 40 odd uh i suddenly was like actually i can make all those references brilliant i can be but it, and i don't have to really think overthink it, it i can just it, like i can play the game i can yeah, enjoy just it just do it yeah. yeah yeah exactly so to to kind of um, i think it's after having kids isn't that, is one thing you know that yeah, kind of yeah. knocks a lot of the kind of self-consciousness and anxiety out of you in some ways and I think <laughs> maybe after doing six months of therapy, <laughs> there's definitely a kind of um, a step between like the pre-therapy stuff, which was like kind of really tight collar, very controlled. And perhaps my everyday, uh, everyday life was less controlled, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> yeah. And then there was this whole kind of like, uh, you know, some things came to my head and I thought it was a good idea to go and do this worked through it came out the other end of it and was like suddenly the work's going mad and my work but my life is so much more controlled and yeah and, yeah nice. yeah I'm I'm like thinking about the future and planning ahead and so I could yeah like the I'm not using the work as the therapy anymore the work yeah. is just kind of I can I can spew all the stuff out there and have fun with it yeah so that's much better and did you it, have art in the home growing up not art so much but lots of kind of creativity so I mean my mum occasionally Drew or did watercolors and stuff, but there was no kind of idea that art was a profession, yeah. very much a hobby, but um, uh, she's very kind of, you know, she can strip down a car and like take Brilliant. the engine apart and, you know, they she can build a, uh, a two-bay garage with her brother and whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So there was lots of that. And we, we had a kind of garden and she grew a lot of food. I don't know, it just felt like a kind of, there was a kind of practical, pragmatic, yeah, hands-on doing. kind of approach yeah. to life yeah rather than I was always into art I don't know like uh
0: well as a I child always drew, no.
1: yeah I was drew a lot I can remember in school like doing a drawing of a an amaryllis <laughs> 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 and being being like stood up in front of the head you know in front of the whole school going look at this drawing. <laughs> like, yeah just such I mean, a shy like, lad yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah um yeah and then um I was kind
0: of I always, so yeah, you went to into teaching it. was that in hartfordshire
1: no that was after i moved into london i did my degree at chelsea and then i went on to the institute of education and i did my placements i was quite lucky actually it was the first year they'd done a it was um aimed at people who might want to go into post compulsory so you got the full secondary school teaching qualification yeah. so you could teach in secondary but one of your placements was in um post compulsory so i managed to wangle getting onto the camberwell foundation course oh, to do one of my placements that was brilliant really enjoyed that and i was thinking this is where i'll go i'll be a part-time artist do some visiting days on foundations and, but yeah then I yeah that's not necessarily the case <laughs> <laughs> and i ended up teaching in secondary for a bit yeah then in sixth form college in hackney which was a Sort of brand new one that just opened up B six on the Leebridge Bridge Road roundabout. Okay, and I did three years there. Yeah, I know. So this I was going to say that the the whole the good thing about terps now is like I think that yeah mainstream education, publicly funded education, has been gutted, doesn't it? And yeah. Like the thing I had is you people are paying like twelve or whatever, I've, who knows how many grand now a year to do that. Yeah. And it's like universities, businesses trying to kind of get as many people in as possible. Covering costs, funding's being stripped out. It's uh, it's well. How did you come by working with Terps? So the Terps thing is quite yeah. It was I I kind of I'd met Marcus a couple of times, um, Harvey obviously. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of yeah. Well, partly because our kids go went to the same primary school. Oh, there you so go. He, He's camberwell based as well, um, and I know yeah. I know I know Ian Dawson who runs the mass sculpture side of it as well through that and uh, his wife helen and yeah there's and they're a nice gang of people so and i'd kind of sat watching it going oh should i should i do this it's like it feels a bit weird like paying my friends to go and, <laughs> but yeah i'm not wasn't necessarily saying they were friends but you know pay people that were i know it just felt slightly slightly odd but um but then seeing it kind of turn into what it is and then yeah i've been looking at ma courses and going around goldsmiths and stuff and talking to disgruntled people enough to kind of go like mm, yeah that's definitely not for me so I never did an MA and then uh, it just hit this year where my daughter, my youngest child started secondary school and I just thought right this must be a turning point of some yeah. sort <clears throat> now's the time to go for it and um, yeah so I applied along with a few other things thinking yeah this is this is the time when I go from just making stuff and putting it in drawers to being a bit more outward facing yeah and then it's been a really good year so far so yeah terps happened that was great and then through terps i got involved with the art car boot fair which i've done yeah a couple of those now yeah and uh i also like yeah applied for a couple of other things so i had i've had some shows knocking around the country i did a thing in brixton with a relatively new space brixton art club oh in fact Ben Wakeling you've had on your podcast. He had yeah. a show just after the one I did. I met him. He's a lovely guy, isn't he? He's great, isn't he?
0: Yeah. and a great yeah. guy to,
1: to sit and chat yeah. and to know? Absolutely. So yeah, but yeah, and that Brixton art space is really cool. So Lyndon, who runs it, is a lovely guy. And he's actually now moving to a bigger space um, around the corner in Brixton in, a, I can't remember the name of the building now, but it has got like a, he's gonna have a whole floor and it's, I think there's Brilliant. some exciting things in the works with that. But yeah, and then a friend of mine moved out to Suffolk to Lower Stuffed, which is quite a kind of, uh, well, the more kind of deprived areas, one of the more deprived areas yeah. in Suffolk. But he's, um, he's kind of set up a, let's bring contemporary, like proper contemporary art to this area and give people stuff, you know, give people an opportunity to see things that they haven't got access to. Yeah. Really great space. And then he put me in touch with another space in the area. So I ended up doing just recently finished this like weird, like double solo show, basically like taking over the whole of Lover Stops. I think there was over over 40 bits of work wow. spread across two venues. It was exhausting. But, and was it uh, all paintings? Yeah, it was a mixture of paintings <laughs> and drawings. But yeah, all from the last two years. So post lockdown, I guess, um. But yeah, and that was a really great experience. Met a load of really interesting local people who people I knew traveled up from London as well and made my first. I don't know, is this sort of weird thing? Do you talk about this stuff like made my first proper sales to collectors through that? Of course, yeah. I don't know, it feels a bit vulgar somehow, but this is, that's I don't what, know. You're, I, not,
0: you're not making it for a hobby,
1: are you? You know,
0: or you, oh, you can do,
1: but... but that's, I don't, I wouldn't say a hobby. But certainly, like my motivation isn't. I've set up a scenario. You know, I've I've worked over the last how many years to get to a point where I can make the work I want to make the way I want to make it. I don't have to compromise. I'm not making products in that sense, and I'm not trying to like fit a market. It's giving you the freedom to carry on, Duncan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, but that's so that has been really good. This is the <clears throat> first year I haven't been kind of like almost intentionally making a loss and just kind of uh, you know it's sort of. It's a weird one, though, because I don't want it to change things. I don't want it to change yeah. the way that, that I approach the work to suddenly be, yeah, I'm making stuff. Oh, that sells, so I need to make more of that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I see. Put, on, on, from, from my opinion,
0: I don't think it matters yeah. in the slightest. You know, I've got friends who do art fairs. All they do is is making for the customer. Pretty much whatever the customer prefers is what they will yeah. make. Yeah, I mean,
1: if I wanted to do that and if it was about making money, then I would not be necessarily doing art. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd be doing property development. Or, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, playing the stock market or or even like building fitted wardrobes. I've done a bit of that. Yeah. You know, I could, yeah. you could make good money on that. Design but even way, it's
0: funding, funding you, helping you grow as a, as a business and as yeah. an artist.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... The th- I suppose it's I'm coming to terms that I, it's only been in the last year that I've really sold any work and yeah. I'm sort of coming to terms with that idea it's nice it is a nice feeling when someone wants your work and you get this it's uh, another form of positive feedback I guess isn't it yeah yeah and I'm just I'm self-conscious of uh not wanting it to kind of impede this sort of yeah I don't want to be just bashing out stuff that sells feeling pleased with myself and Getting patted on the back—that's that's that's not enough. (laughs) I want to know that I'm doing something that feels kind of important and is going somewhere. And I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. maybe that's really maybe that's
1: self-important. I don't know.
0: But either way, there's a—you're in the art world, so it's got many different branches. You just choose to to sit on whatever one's most comfortable, don't you? You know. True. Which piece that you've created, Duncan, has got the strongest emotional connection? Do you think?
1: Okay. I was I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I was I was trying to think of some recent painting, but it's there is, yeah, I suppose I did this big Last Supper piece recently and I've done gone through several versions of that. It feels like something I'm going to go back to again and keep reworking. It's an image which seems quite prescient for our times, you know, a sort of uh, a sort of beginning of the end moment, a uh, an image that's sort of uh, represents a moment of transition yeah and i don't know it's the, the I don't, i'm sort of treating it as both like this kind of christian religious story that sort of has half-remembered associations from my youth which i don't necessarily associate with that much but yeah and then something that's a bit more ambiguous that has these kind of resonances with like the french bourgeoisie dying as well yeah yeah presence was revolt outside and there's this kind of like late-stage capitalism stuff, and, and then I kind of see the characters as these kind of mad, over-exaggerated versions of, you know, the way people um, come across in, like, comment streams on Facebook or Twitter yeah, yeah, or something, yeah. This kind of caricatures, I don't know whether that's that personal, but it's the one that I'm kind of most, from the outset, it was painted wrong, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the greatest artist of all time, <laughs> but <I> screwed up. <laughs> You know, it was like, oh, I want to take my time on this one, so I'm not going to do the fresco how you're supposed to do it. I'll do it yeah. on dry plaster, and then it all just started peeling off within a couple of years or something. Yeah, so it started falling kind
0: of, apart and yeah. having a few dubious makeovers
1: along the way. Yeah, loads of them. I mean, even there was like a was it interwar or maybe just after the Second World War, I can't remember now, but there was like a point where, you know, most of it was just paint fragments on the floor, and they were literally like piecing it wow. together like a jigsaw and sticking it back up. Yeah, and there's been bad re- bad restorations that have been peeled they're stripped back and so you don't even know like really you've no idea what the original thing was. Have you, was you conscious about painting Jesus? I'm not trying to necessarily satirise anything or cause any offence but maybe there's a bit of me that likes poking a bit of fun as well um, and for me it is like as a, I went to a CV secondary school and you know, the mad stuff of like, I was, I was boarding, I was away at secondary school on a boarding school, and you get woken up on a Tuesday morning, and before breakfast, you have to go and do chapel practice. And it's like, you know, yeah. sorry, right. he's not listening now, so yeah, we don't make all our mistakes now, and we'll do it properly <laughs> on Sunday. And then it's like, you know, even as a whatever, like 13 year old, you're just sitting there going, What the fuck? <laughs> you know, this is what cults do, you yeah, like get you yeah. out of bed and like mess with your head while you're hungry and tired. <laughs> um so the whole thing just seemed ridiculous to me and yeah obviously wasn't really paying attention so like most of this stuff's just kind of yeah half remembered fragments of things so i don't know for me it's yeah it's more about my personal relationship with something rather than trying to kind of undermine undermine anyone else's yeah that's, that's fair enough but anyway on the personal work thing i did have a thought that actually there was a i spent quite a long time doing this work around a really simple thing where I had um a dictaphone tape where well, in fact I didn't even have it I had a, re- a memory of listening to a dictaphone tape with a recording of my father's voice on it and he died when I was quite young like at yeah. 12 and I can remember listening to it at like a birthday party when we were younger uh, and it was me and him sitting in a car Outside our local pub, and me going, him going, I'm going to go in now. You wait here. And me going, can't I come in with you, Daddy? <laughs> and he goes, no, no, you're you're too small. You can come in when you're bigger. And me going, no, I'm big now, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. And then I, it, it, the tape had gone as far as I was concerned. Yeah. I did all this work about it, and um, and it was yeah, sort of exploring my relationship with this recording of my voice, and then my relationship with my dad's voice and then i was re-recording my voice at various times and then talking to it and so it was all this kind of like re- relationship with yourself over time yeah i don't know and then i've done all this work and i had like a sort of serialized five-part thing which was broadcast on resonance you know resonance oh, FM, nice. yeah 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 and it got turned into an hour-long clear spot thing and then i did an installation version of it but with all like these years you know, like a little uh, old robert's radio with my dad's voice nice. in it and various things dotted around like a record player and things did and it was all split into a kind of immersive sonic environment with things popping on and off and then my little brother went oh i've got that tape oh brilliant <laughs> after and you, after it, you suddenly, spent all
0: that time doing it
1: and it was nothing like i remember that's all. what i was about to say was it a, yeah so it was a completely and how different, different like, was, I mean, was it was it just really it's really, the same really the words were sort of roughly the same I'd even got my son so my son when I did the first sort of version of things was maybe four and I got him to act me <laughs> and me yeah. and I was acting yeah. my dad and we did like a, a weird reenactment of this tape
0: so yeah, the, the, I, what you were saying to me just now yeah. can I come yeah. in with you daddy was that what you remembered or was that the actual
1: the, yeah the, the the thrust of that conversation was the same I think yeah just because there was loads of other stuff on there there's like a bit there's a bit where he's yeah it was a dictaphone i think he had from work in the like 70s yeah. or something no it would have been in the 80s because we were kids yeah so and then he'd, he'd stuck it on record and just left it in the bathroom while my mum was giving us a bath and there's just all this stuff with us being this we were three three boys i was the oldest of three all just being really annoying and whatever. Yeah, just being boys yeah yeah splashing around and her going look just stop it i want to get you in bed by seven <laughs> and, a, and then there's a bit where he's kind of stealth recording at the at the dinner table and he does this massive burp and you could just hear like the okay. kids laughing on my mom's uh, disapproval in the background i don't know it was yeah it wasn't as i suppose it was yeah i mean it was a, an inconsequential moment but yeah. you know in your head you've kind of built it up and then you've kind of Re-remembered it and restructured it so many times that it becomes this kind of epic thing. And then yeah, because just...
0: first of all, you remember the situation, and right. then you
1: sort of you're remembering remembering the situation. Yeah, the creative act of memory. And I suppose I did a lot of work, and I guess yeah, I mean it pers- it persists into what I'm doing now. This kind of going like remembering and editing, and I did a lot of work when I first went back to college. I was the first set of work I did was. I took, I had a book of collages I'd done in maybe when I was like 19 or something, when I made, I basically remade each collage with contemporary bits and then they, I showed them as pairs. So there's this weird like conversation with myself uh, over like whatever, like 20 years or something between. And then the second project I did was taking all this box of family photographs I had. And just cutting them up and making them into these sort of mythical versions of things. So like turning people into like strange goat headed creatures and brilliant. If it was
0: you and five other artists, Duncan, what would your ideal group show be?
1: That's a tough one because I could go down the really kind of predictable route, because we've already mentioned Bacon, haven't we? So and I like this idea, because obviously, yeah. Uh Bacon kind of said Picasso was the only reason to do anything. And then condo constantly talks about bacon and picasso and like there, so i kind of like it in a really kind of wouldn't it be amazing to have a kind of show that was to like that lineage and to go like well there's picasso bacon condo and then me like but obviously yeah we would give that a few years i think so the real answer <laughs> <laughs> is um uh I would love, I'd really love this guy, Ralph Bakshi. Do you know Ralph Bakshi? I don't think like so, a, I'm gonna write his name down. No, he's, he's an American. Um, he was an animator, he was he first kind of, I like, guess he, he made feature films, but animated feature films. And his first kind of big job was the um, Fritz the Cat, the Robert Crumb thing, uh, which he turned into a feature film. Yeah, it's a bit, it came after Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it's like kind of weird, Budget, slightly adult version of Who Framed Roger <laughs> Rabbit, about this uh, into interdimensional cop played by Brad Pitt, who's trying to stop cartoon characters from sleeping with humans. Otherwise, <laughs> something bad's going to happen. It but, just um, sounds like a dream, doesn't it? Something that would yeah, like, happen. I mean, it is. It is happen in, it's yeah. an absolutely ridiculous film. Yeah, and eventually uh, this happens. The create, you know, the creator of this character, Hollywood. <laughs> Of course, ends up sleeping with her, and then that enables the cartoon world to erupt into our world. And there's this amazing scene of mayhem where, yeah, there's you know, big rubber mallets going and hitting people over the head, and they're turning into cartoon characters, then popping back, and it's just really. So that was the sort of sense. Having that was the point when I saw that as well. Where I was like, my work needs to be more like this. (laughs) This is amazing. That sense of mayhem.
0: Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com.
1: Oh yeah, and sorry, I grew up watching like um obviously we yeah, you know, the new adventures of Mighty Mouse on TV. Yeah, yeah, 80s. yeah. And he did that, and I didn't realise until oh, wow. I cool okay. like, well, I've been watching this dude and it was like that was my favorite cartoon as a kid. He's the greatest um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and that influenced so many things, you know, yeah. like Ren and Stimpy wouldn't have happened without that. And no. I guess, you know, the lineage then is into like Rick and Morty and all this sort of yeah, yeah. cartoons now. But um, yeah, he's now retired to the hills of New Mexico and he paints his weird sort of um, cast of like cartoon clowns and uh, mobsters and talking babies. And uh, yeah, in, the, in a really interesting way, kind of like scratching with a blade and drawing with a pen and then nice. painting they're beautiful things um and i was lucky enough during the lockdown so like be able to afford a couple of little postcard sized ones but anyway so i'd love to show him and he's like he's still got all that vitriol that he's yeah, like 83 yeah. or something like that. and then who else was i going to say oh sue williams i really love her it's an american painter and she does these kind of from a distance well the the work that i know is from a distance looks almost like kind of beautiful pattern almost like this kind of like Victorian wallpaper designs and then as you get closer you realise they're made up of like bits of entrails and penises oh yeah yeah quite sexual so I kind of like that and who else was I going to say oh there's a few I don't know there's a woman who lives in New York I keep trying to buy her she does these amazing charcoal drawings she's called Roya Farasat I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly but she's she does these beautiful these kind of yeah, beautiful charcoal drawings of these um, strange, like, I don't know, weirdly amorphous characters, often kind of like melting together. I, don't know, I find them really touching and quite beautiful. And um, yeah, i probably want to stick a couple of those in the group show. And then Christina Qualis, or Kuales, you know, her work, she had a big show at South London Gallery last, towards the end of last year, I think. I'll throw in a cave person. Say that again. A cave person. Oh, so, so I thought that was someone's they, surname you know, or something then. That's that's you know, what I thought you yeah, said. Cave, cave person. <laughs> do you <laughs> not know their <that> work? <laughs> Does she do the hands? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The whole berries <laughs> flow into it. And yeah. yeah. you're like part of the spirit world. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love the... That's where it all comes from, isn't it? It's, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. Spiritual, it's expressive, it's protect, you know, some of them even look like they're meant to be a little bit funny, like a slightly weirdly shaped animal or, a, you know, something a bit phallic or whatever and cheeky and, yeah, so let's, let's, let's get a dead cave person into Yeah, that is, as yeah. you say, that's where
0: it all started, you know, that guy, you know, spitting berries onto his hand.
1: Yeah, well, I like, I like the, the story or the whatever that the idea of that was that at that moment... There was they were kind of reaching across the across the boundary or whatever. So the the point where the hand's on the rock, they're in the real world, they spit the berries on. And at that moment their hand is part of the image and yeah. they are bridging the gap between the spiritual and the, the actual world. And this is yeah, that's that kind of um, Shamanistic moments. Yeah, like, but I
0: preferred his later work when it included animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the guy with the massive cock.
1: <laughs> yes, the <one. laughs> Yeah. Well, I see it. There's some of that. So there, we went to Gozo a few years ago. I was oh, going nice. around the museum. There, there's all yeah. these amazing, like little sculptures, really kind of sexualized, and yeah, and was, yeah. Sorry, going back to that that kind of stuff. I really love the. So like the ancient Hindu sculptures and drawings, which are kind of associated with the Karma Sutra. Yeah. I was looking at those quite a lot. When I, when I started making these, I was looking at Rembrandt and his late religious portraits and the Last Supper and this whole history of kind of Western Christian painting, I guess. And then thinking, well, you know, there's this other history, which is all like, you know, Weird blue people like having sex with like seven women, you know, there's one on each thumb and <laughs> like one on each toe, and then like, but and it's really graphic and really quite like, pornographic. Yeah. I'm reading the Karma Sutra as well, I found it really fascinating just in terms of like how you compare that with your Christian Western stayed upbringing about yeah. like you know it's. It's best just not to do it at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whereas there's all you know, the, the the talks about how to have relationships and how to involve, how to get, how to do orgies, basically. You know, yeah. what's the best way to do an orgy? Obviously, there's, some of it is really patriarchal. The whole idea that you know men have many wives, etc. But um, at the same time, there's something quite liberational or liberatory about it. Yeah. That um, there's lots of talking about like women's pleasure and how to ensure that women have pleasure. I don't know. I find it quite interesting just to compare those across time, and yeah, there's something quite quite cool about that. But anyways, I'm trying to kind of draw a bit in, in recent drawings and some of the more recent paintings. I'm kind of lifting bits and doing some stuff that's a little bit naughty. And there's a particular striped leg which is a sort of seems to occur in a lot of these drawings. Which is, uh,
0: I did when I was looking at.
1: Work. I think it
0: was at one of your exploding heads. He had quite a large penis going on there.
1: Yeah I made some big paintings which were more the whole figure just before I did that exploding head series and they were oh, was it okay? they were like 3 by 4 foot. and the one of Paul he's like got sort of uh, yeah he's all out basically now for me it was like well in the same way that Rembrandt you know maybe in a more polite way kind of took uh, a much more kind of reverence way of doing things but then he kind of dressed himself up as the character or like drew like a you know an old man and gave them a vulnerability and um they just seem sort of, he inhabits the character and they see much, so much more empathy. He turns them into a real person that you kind of empathize with and you're yeah, there with yeah. them. Uh, in the same way, I think I was sort of, maybe not entirely consciously, but kind of playing with that and trying to, you know, there's, he's, this guy's a, he's a mad dude, you know, and he's left, he's lost his trousers and that makes him kind of uh, more vulnerable and more relatable in some way. Yeah. How about if
0: you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I did teach him for a while, and I'm quite happy not to go back to that. Um, <laughs> just because, Would you teach mean, in I'm terms. Doing, oh, I might do a bit of that. Yeah, so if they invite me, um, from the people I've chatted to, who do the correspondence course and stuff, it's that's quite a nice thing to do. And I suppose we, yeah, yeah, I, I'd be, I'd do a bit of that, but I wouldn't want to go back into kind of formal education or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, having having done it in schools in sixth form. Yeah, as a freelancer, yeah, I could do the odd project again. Um, but again, it's like the money's gone, um, and the university sector. So no, ideally not any of that. But yeah, maybe at Turps, I would uh, consider an invitation. Would music <laughs> be a consideration? Well, that that was the next one. So yeah, having having done it for a while, if yeah, if I couldn't do art anymore, I kind of I suppose I made a decision. I was like, I'm doing all this stuff, and I was in I was in like at one point I was in. I think three bands. Brilliant. And trying to kind of keep this going and teaching a bit and teaching ukulele one day a week in a primary school. Nice. Plus doing like freelance fine art projects. And it was just like, I'm doing all of this stuff, but none of it that well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like an amateur polymath. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, nice idea. But um, yeah, so I kind of made a conscious decision to hang up my guitar. <laughs> I haven't really put it up. Uh, or picked it up again since but then I occasionally listen through the old recordings and you get this kind of little twinge you go,
0: yeah you say you I mean, was
1: in three bands is yeah. is it all at the same time that i well at one point it was two at the same time but yeah they're all quite close together so when i finished at chelsea i was in this and i did this band called bib we were doing these kind of like um, in my in my mind it was like this kind of slightly jokey social satire But it was good fun and you know we we did a little tour with a band called at the time they were called Xerox Teens uh, and then they got signed to Mute Irregulars or something and had to change the name because Bank Xerox got in touch and said gave them a cease and desist. Yeah, that was right. Like, we did a little tour, we made a video, we had a few, you know, got played on Radio 1 a few times, Robb the Bank played. Well, that's there. what I
0: was going to say. A lot of people in bands have them little glimmers of the, the golden road is just up
1: up above. The road that I saw wasn't golden. <laughs> the, the road I saw was kind of mucky and uh, not conducive to family life. <laughs> <laughs> and what was you within the bands? Yeah, I was the front person on that band. And then, yeah, I didn't do anything for a little while. just kind of carried on writing songs, Uh, apart from that one band, which was kind of felt like an extension of my, well, yeah, sort of post-art school irony, basically. And then um, in between I wrote, I tended to write songs when I was having a bit of a weird time, to be honest. So they would often, you know, if my relationship was going a bit weird or uh, I was a bit unhappy or something, and then stuff would come out. I think the music's always been a bit more therapeutic than the art. But then i done, yeah, so more recently I did, I was in like a sort of shouty guitar, noise guitar band. We called ourselves the Leonard Cohen. And oh,
0: superb. Really,
1: yeah. Brilliant. And I was with my friend, Alexander Costello, who's like a, he's an RA sculptor, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's the guy who set up the space in Suffolk 303 project. Yeah. And we'd been, he was living in Milan for a while And he used to come back like every few months And we'd spend the weekend together And basically write and record like five songs in a weekend And then eventually when he moved back to London We got a band together And I think we did like three or four gigs Before the the guitarist we were working with went off to China for a year with work, and then it all kind of dribbled <laughs> apart. But at the same time, I was doing this kind of really sincere singer songwriter kind of stuff, yeah. which was all about like layered harmonies and yeah. slowcore, lo-fi, kind of in- influenced by those kind of American bands like Low and Dirty um, yeah. Three and that lot. And I still got a load of those as demos, and a few friends that keep going, they were fucking amazing, you should do something with those. And, but yeah, I'm just like, actually, yeah, like I said, I had this six months of therapy and I kind of got it out of my system and didn't listen to them for a while because they were a bit awkward. It's like that kind yeah. of um, a bit too raw. And I, yeah, it kind of reminds me of having a bit of a midlife crisis and <laughs> not <really> going <laughs> to the best place. Brilliant. Yeah, I think it was because I was just, I don't know how personal we want to get, but I was kind of, um I'd hit an age where I was... I think I thought I was approaching the age that my dad was when he committed yes, suicide and it was yeah. quite I and my son uh, it turns out I had just got over it and I hadn't really realized it and my son had just hit he was about to hit the age hit I was when my dad died yeah. and it was just yeah. this one and I kind of realized you know within a few weeks of going talking to a therapist he was just like well you're not really thinking about the future are you and I just kind of I hadn't even, ever really considered it but I yeah. just I'd not thought past that point and then as it was approaching, I was kind of like just kind of going a bit mad and like going out and, you know, maybe you know, don't know, drinking a bit too much and dabbling yeah. in things. Well, you know. To as a and just being a bit being a bit wonky and nihilistic. And. Yeah, it just took a few conversations to kind of confront that stuff. And then obviously all the other stuff, loads of other stuff comes up about.
0: Of course, yes, yeah. it's, it's that Pandora's yeah. box, isn't it? That, yeah. that
1: you're opening up. Yeah. And was that just six months that you'd done? No, I did This was a couple of years. ago, was pre-lockdown actually, but, um, and it was good. Cause I, I think you can get kind of sucked into that thing, can't you? And just go, Oh, now I'm going to do therapy all the time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's good. You can, can rely on it a bit. Like it becomes yeah. your replacement. Well, once you see
0: how beneficial yeah. that it can be, mm-hmm. but sometimes how easy it is just to readjust your way of thinking, and, and yeah. a lot of time, that is all it just takes. You just stop thinking this way, think that way. E- a lot easier said than done, by the way. And then
1: you just think, yeah. well, how easy was that? Well, yeah, I think for me, it was going, like, just dragging stuff up again and going, oh, I didn't want to think about this. But then going, oh, and, like, really, like, reliving it almost. Yeah. Like, I, got, I, had, I had nights where I was lying awake in bed, and I I was fucking 12 again, and my dad had just died, and I had no friends, and everyone, I was being bullied, and you know and I just kind of was lying there and I just yeah. felt like this lost broken boy and it was weird like really weird yeah but then there was that was like a, a process of kind of unpacking it and going hang on you haven't necessarily put this away the best exactly. way you can yeah and then you could go back and have some chats about it and you kind of felt it and relived it and then you can kind of fold it away and put it away a bit better this time. exactly you might have to do it again in a few yeah. years but it's definitely everything's improved the good thing is I went in and I had a list and I kind of, you know, he kind of went in for my like, you know, taster session and just went, yeah. okay, uh, I want to do this, there, yeah, I've got this thing, I've got like a little bit of an awkward relationship with alcohol, I've got this thing going on with my dad, and then this and that, and blah, 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 And I'm a bit worried about what I'm passing <laughs> like, like, on to. he said, yeah, <laughs> okay, so we've had two and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we've Still gone through we've three quarters of your half. life. Yeah, uh, I, think, I, I think we can do some work. <laughs> But then, yeah. And then after like four or five months, I went, well, look, i got the list out again. I went. Mean, yeah, this has gone really well. I've been doing the drink aware app and I've kind of reassessed my relationship with alcohol. Yeah. That's going well. You know, this is going to have some really amazing moments talking to my kids, you know, when I, I would have just sent them upstairs, but we sat down and we had a chat and I was like, what's going on? And all this stuff came out and our relationship's so much better as a result of all this. I don't know. And then I was just like, yeah, well, you know we're, we're just scratching the surface really you need to do at least two or three years and i was like no mate i think i've made some good progress i want to go and like live this a bit and test yeah. it out and yeah i'll come back to you you know if i if and when so i don't know well now we're talking about therapy a lot but yeah but it's like getting a new pair
0: of glasses isn't it you're, you're yeah sort of, yeah 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 your world's always been a little bit blurry because you've not been able to make sense of it and then they right. give you these new glasses and everything's a little bit clearer you know it may not be 2020 yeah. But yeah. it's a lot clearer than what it was, you
1: know. So I'm taking it from what you're saying, that you, you've you done some form of therapy counseling. No, practice.
0: I've, so, done, I've no. done years of sort of self-analysis coming from the world I used to live in okay. into this world I'm living in now, which is extremely different, and having to sort of yeah. change from the person that I used to be and, and my attitude to absolutely everything. I've had to change that to try and be the person that, I wanted to be or the, the person that I'd want my kids to look up to which was the main thing so yeah I've, I've done as I said
1: I've done no therapy but I understand the value of it you know yeah well, I think if you're a thoughtful person I don't know been, there's a few things yeah, things come up don't they in conversations and art can be very therapeutic But I think particularly being a parent becoming a parent because it kind of it brings you know you you really you relive some things through them don't you and it can go either way. Either you end up just sort of passing on the same shit, or you can kind of really use it as a as a, a, a development thing, and then you can kind of go, oh yeah. yeah, I'm recognizing something here. I don't I don't want to do that, and you can kind of break the cycle. That's the thing. Isn't it? that's the therapeutic? Yeah. Uh, well, recognizing
0: term. what positive things I have found, but I've realised over time that I must must have always been a bit of a decent person because I wanted to become this rather than yeah. stay that you know I went all through that bit of bit of self-deprivating hell to try and get to somewhere and you know like it or lump it this is what I've ended up with you yeah. know and it's a lot better of what was there that's, before you know that's amazing that it worked out
1: like that for you because you know, it could yeah like, it uh, could have gone the the exact opposite well, that, way which it nearly did it, a couple it, of times you know well yeah for most like that that kind of deprivation and stuff it's not it's Not structured in the way that a kind of therapeutic scenario is or should be, really, is it? Yeah, I, I met a guy in Suffolk actually. Who's, he was a delivery driver and he was retraining as a prison guard. and He was coming, he, he was just finishing it now, uh, well, yeah, because it's like regular money and he felt yeah, like doing yeah, something yeah. with a bit of social function. And but he was saying, Yeah, like most of the people he meets, it's in a youth offenders unit or whatever, and uh. Yeah, most of them they're just for like a little bit of percy or whatever yeah, called, you know, yeah 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 with a bit of, you know and it's like then they're just in the system and you know fuck knows what's going to go where they're going to go from there now the violence thing's really interesting i was having another chat with a guy that i met when i was up in suffolk and he was like um boxer he was talking about growing up in south africa like a young black kid and basically just being horrifically bullied and and he got into boxing when he moved to the uk yeah, it, seemed, sounded, it sounded like it was quite good at it, and stuff. but we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about violence. I mean, I'm, whether it's because I'm just totally scared of violence or whether I, whether it is a, a principle thing, but I'm kind of, I've always said that I'm a pacifist and I've got into some scrapes and generally come out of it, you know, with like whatever bottle around the side of the head, but I haven't retaliated and I've managed to talk my way. In my mind, it's just better to de-escalate in that situation because you know unless you're like you know what you're doing (laughs) you're just going to make it worse surely so but the idea of actually like instigating violence against someone however justified to me I don't think I could do it you know I think there was one yeah I was when I was being bullied at school there was one point when I was about 13 or something where it just kind of I could feel everything boiling up and I took a swing at this dude and my fist got maybe like 30 centimetres from my face. And then I just felt it kind of slowing down, all in slow motion, you know. And then my hand opened and then I ended up just like tapping him really lightly on the cheek. Like a kind of oh, real good, good, soft though. slap. And it was weird because like, his face kind of went and then changed. And he looked at me and he pointed his finger and he went, don't ever do that again. All and then that was it. And then it stopped. He stopped all the stuff and he stopped getting on at me all the time and just kind of left me alone. And I don't know, like, yeah.
0: What that has done there, there is yeah. a famous psychological approach to aggression that's put on you. So if someone's being, um, not not if they're coming towards you with a knife and about to stab you, you're going to get stabbed no matter what you say. Yeah. But if someone, if you've got the, the drunk bloke outside the pub who just doesn't like the look of you for whatever reason he's got going round in his head, What you've done physically is what they recommend you do verbally. And when it's just about to kick off, if you go, don't hit me, I'm building a wall in my garden. And then they go, what? (laughs) It's the confusion that has pushed them out. I don't know, my toilet's broke or I'm getting a new kitchen fitted. Rather than go, I've got kids, you know, because that's, fuck you. I don't care about you. But yeah, that's what you've done. Because you went to hit him and he was half prepared for it and you'd give him a little tap. That's yeah. confusion. It's like, what, what the fuck? Yeah. That, and then that that one yeah. with about um, I'm building a wall in my garden. I've said that so many times. Um, Duncan, can I ask, what have you got yeah. coming
1: up? We're back on track. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm having a little bit of a rest, I have to say. I've kind of yes. I've just done the boot fair, as we discussed, not long before that got back from Suffolk, and I was already sort of in a bit of uh, having that kind of post-show dip so the idea really is to sort of uh, backpedal a bit and just go, whew, okay, take a deep breath, make some new work. Having said that, I'm involved with Camberwell Arts, which has been running for nice. whatever, like yeah. 20 odd years or something now. And they do an open studios every year. Um, so we'll, I'll be open up as, as part of that, which is on the 11th, 12th of June. I don't know if nice. this goes out before then. There'll be loads if you're in the SE5 area loads of open studios all around Camberwell and down towards Loughborough Junction, which is where I am based. Yeah, the idea is to kind of have a bit of fun and get back into like uh, just playing and make some new work really. Yeah, I'm, I want to I play. And part, partly I guess, because I'm doing this Terps thing. So it's kind of, it's a sort of mentorship program, I guess. So, yeah, they've got the, they've got the studios and they have people who go and do it sort of- Are you the mentor outside. or the mentee? I'm a mentee, so I've, I'm actually, paying to do this yeah um and so it's a bit like the closest thing that i could associate it with is the uh, is the sort of um goldsmiths mfa kind of model where they used to have it you'd don't know if they still do it but yeah you you have your own studio and they kind of assign you with a tutor or a mentor and they come and visit you and then there's this program of talks which are really good and then we do some kind of group crit things where we meet up at, at their headquarters and you get guest people come in and talk to you and run crypts and things but yeah it's been really really good really useful but for most of this year because i've been so busy with various you know group two man and then solo shows and things uh every time someone comes in i go oh yeah, yeah i'm just getting ready for this thing and they go <laughs> okay well i don't really want to upset anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so i don't know if i've really got the the maximum that i could kind of yeah absorb from this thing so my, my in my head whether this will happen or not, I don't know. But in my head, I'm kind of taking a step back and I want to be a bit more kind of studio focused and get involved, like try and absorb as much as I can from the critiques and the mentor sessions. Well, stuff.
0: what you were saying earlier at the at the start of this conversation about collectors, and I don't know how many you've got, but right. preparing for a show is quite stressful, takes up a hell of a lot of your time. If you've got people who are collecting your work and makes that process rather than having to do it half a dozen times a year you've only got to do it four times a year because of those people behind you that's a huge benefit straight away isn't it you know
1: yeah well, hopefully i don't know this like i said this is all kind of new territory to me so i'm kind of yeah hopefully i can kind of build those relationships and keep them going but um yeah i, I any advice? <laughs> Another time. <laughs> we'll and, do a session on that. <laughs> and also,
0: talking of your work, how can anyone see your work, be it social mm-hmm. media or website?
1: Yeah, so I'm as with everyone these days, Instagram is probably the most up-to-date thing. And yeah. I'm Duncan McAfee, spelled like the antivirus software. Uh, I am on Facebook as well, Duncan McAfee. I think there's a 58 on the end of it or something. <laughs> got yeah. fifty for some reason. I uh, don't use Twitter. I find it confusing and really difficult to engage with. And I do have a website, which is, again, my name, DuncanMacAfee.com. Uh, I think there's an org and a UK, or co.uk as well. So they'll all kind of lead you in roughly the right direction. Google is always the um, the backup, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's a nice little film, actually. I have to kind of plug my friend, Ivano Dara, who's like a, a filmmaker, photographer. type. He made a beautiful film of the show, uh, the double solo show up in Suffolk but before that he made this really nice little kind of um, interview spliced up with some stuff from that was what well, end of 2020 I think so it's it's relatively up to date but um, it's a lovely little film and I was like you know that thing, when someone comes and does something you're kind of like oh no I was like really squirming and, <laughs> like, and then you watch it and go how did you do that exactly yeah <laughs> yeah well but because i really think the most the
0: of sense. the time that squirming is just in our head isn't it you know I, yeah yeah probably
1: the, well, how long, it's long is that website it uh, seven or eight minutes or something okay nice so I you know. get you get a really nice view of roughly what the work's about but yeah if you go on my website it's right there on the front page it's the kind of uh introductory the doormat the welcome oh, yeah. Mat. oh yeah is it bafta nominated at all <laughs> for that at some point yeah yeah <laughs> The only thing I was going to say to you, Gary, was this, you know, this 303 Projects. Alex, who runs it, he's a North Londoner and like a, a, you know, proper London boy from a working class background, like socialist worker party member, uh, union man, all that kind of thing. He's loads to talk about. Really, really interesting guy. And I was going to, you know, suggest that uh, Alexander Costello. Yeah, 303 Projects. I think it's 303 underscore projects on Instagram he's great and he's got loads of stuff going on. He's doing a performance, I'm going up actually on Friday at the art station in Saxmundham. He's doing a performance, he does these amazing like paper wrestling performances. <laughs> so he gets this massive like seven or eight foot wide roll of paper and unrolls it and then kind of, <laughs> the of it, and it, you end up with this weird kind of temporary sculpture thing which fills the whole room. but like the process of him doing it and like the joke I guess of like someone fighting the way out of a paper bag. And, yeah, it's 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 great work. That's yeah. perfect for me. Stupidly, because when i had when the run up to the show, I was like, Oh, get in touch with Gary because he might do something about this and help promote the show. And then I was a bit coy and didn't do it. But well, anyway, I'll, I'll 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 send you I'll like, I'll put you in touch with Alex somehow. I mean, I'll send you yeah, like you both copied in. Because I think he's a really interesting guy to talk to, and I'll have lots to say. All right then, Duncan. Thank you very Lovely. much for your time, mate. I really appreciate Thank you. it. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. All the best, care, mate. Bye. Have a good day. Right, Thanks soon.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon, leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Anything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening and until next week, ta Art.